Welcome to The Forbes Factor, featuring celebrity TV host, million-dollar entrepreneur, and renowned health and fitness superstar, Forbes Riley, a familiar face from TV, as well as one of today's most sought-after female motivational speakers today. You'll connect with some of the top experts in health and fitness, business, and personal development, as well as some surprise celebrities, all sharing their insight, tips, and tricks to finding true happiness. Now, here's your host, Forbes Riley. Well, hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Forbes Factor, your weekly resource for fun and insightful tips on health, wealth, and happiness. So today I'm going to start with something very interesting. About, I see, about 11 years ago, my daughter was eight years old. She and I had scheduled a trip over to Europe. I was shooting an infomercial and Paris was sold out. I couldn't find a hotel room anywhere that was like under $800. And I went online and somehow I found this little advertisement for a thing that no one had ever heard of where you could rent an apartment. And I looked up and there was this two bedroom apartment for rent with a washer and a dryer and we'd been on the road for three weeks. I thought this was a fascinating idea. Well, lo and behold, I was one of the very first users of a thing called Airbnb. Blew me away. Uh, I met the uh, I met the gentleman who owned it. He never visited us. He left wine in the refrigerator. And we were there for about four days and it was very cool. Well, I know you can't imagine what it must be like years and years ago that your extra bedroom, your back guest house, or maybe you buy a house and rent it out sort of on a daily, weekly basis. Well, welcome to the 21st century. You can now make money on a a property that you don't necessarily own, or you can make money on cars. I mean, Airbnb doesn't own any apartments or homes. Uber doesn't own any cars. And you're like, but wow, but you can leverage this. And I don't think that you may have ever realized not only how much money is involved and that you can make as a side hustle, but also when you're traveling, if you're like me, at some point you don't even want to stay in hotels because it's It's just, you know, you're stuck in a room with no kitchen, no washer dryer, no backyard. And so my guest today is a man named Tom Riley, who has really kind of crushed the real estate market, but very successfully operating in the world of Airbnb. And I thought I would introduce you to him. Tom, turn your camera on and say hi to everybody. Hello, everybody. Hey, hey. All right. So when you, what kind of businessman are you? You didn't start out with Airbnb. You've done a lot of different businesses, haven't you? Well, like a lot of people, I kind of backed into Airbnbs. I was in manufacturing. I was uh, in electronics. I was in the bingo business and patented electronic bingo equipment that we sold around the world. Uh, It was novel in its day and uh, now it's everywhere. Um, And started in commercial real estate and then figured there's other ways to leverage money on commercial real estate that's sitting there not being used, particularly um, a second home that uh, we had had at one time. Forbes and I have been business partners for almost 30 years in one capacity or another, and we're married for a couple decades, so I have a little familiarity with her. Um, but the uh, vacation rental business really kicked off for me about eight years ago when we were looking to maximize a property in Los Angeles um, that was kind of sitting there un- unused for nine months out of the year, and then also um, looking for a place to enjoy something at the beach in Florida, but knowing that it would sit there and just suck money out of us and not make anything if we just use it as like a weekend place or something like that. So we thought, okay, maybe Airbnb is a way to do it. And it's been pretty successful. It's, it's not my primary business, but it's significant enough that it's been worth doing it. Well, I invited you on the show because I think more and more people don't realize as money's getting tighter and tighter for everyone, 
Uh, and I see a lot of people who want to get into that space, but they have no idea what it takes. So I was hoping you'd give us a little bit of insight. Number one, you not only have one property, but you've got a bunch of these properties. Um, how do you know what makes a good Airbnb, do you think? Well, first, you got to do a little self-introspection. Uh, you, you've got to be thick-skinned. You're going to get people that may not be happy with what your property looks like or thought it was something else and may write reviews that uh, you find offensive. You've got to be secure enough in what you're trying to do and be treated as constructive criticism, if you will, to make yourself better. Um, and then you need to think about what are the kind of properties you like to go to when you go on vacation? How do you like it to look? How do you like it to feel? Um, for me, cleanliness is everything. I don't care if it's an old property or new property. If it's not clean, it's done. So in the, in the Airbnb business and the vacation rental business, cleanliness is probably number one. And so you have to factor in that you hire someone to clean this. Because again, I'm thinking about people who want to invest in this. Is it a good investment, do you think, to do an Airbnb? Well, it depends on what you bought your property for. If you bought a property specifically for vacation rentals, then it's simply math. You need to sit down and do some financials and look at your return on investment because there are carrying costs. You do have to have housekeeping. You do have repairs and maintenance. And then you got to look at, is it the best use of your money? If you drop you know, $200,000 to buy a, a condo or, or a rental, and you know, could that money make more money for you elsewhere? Or is that the place to do it after the cost of running the Airbnb? So, and I say Airbnb, it can be BRBO, any of the other services. Airbnb is kind of the Kleenex of the vacation rental business. You know, it just encompasses all of it. Now you do um, some fun little extras though. When cleanliness is part of it, but how do you get to be a super host? Well, you got to exceed people's expectations. And part of that training I got when in 2006, I decided I wanted to explore my culinary background a little bit. And I went to the Cordon Bleu program and got a, a degree from that. And uh, it was fascinating and taught me a lot about the hospitality world and also how to uh, exceed people's expectations. You know, one of the simplest um, corporate mottos and successful ones in, in the world is, um, <laughs> I just, <laughs> it just went blank. It's that successful. Um, I'm thinking, what, what's, it's, we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies, ladies and gentlemen at the Ritz-Carlton. Okay. That's, their, that's their motto. We are, we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. So you created a, a property where when they come, maybe you spend a little more on the sheets. You know, and If you go to Sam's Club, they have 400 thread sheets and they got 700 thread sheets. And maybe the difference is 20 bucks. Spend the 20 bucks. Put the nicer sheets in. Uh, put the nicer towels in. Yes, people will ruin your towels. They will wipe their makeup. By the way, get dark washcloths for makeup and leave them for ladies with a little sign. Do not use white ones. Um, but that's just the cost of doing business. But exceeding people's expectations. Someone says, oh, you know, it'd be nice if you had a, uh, an electric mixer in, in the thing. Go out and get one. Go to Target. Spend $24. Bring it to the guest and watch the review you get that it's off the chart. You'll look on my rentals and virtually all of them are five star um, because that's what we do. So now, okay, so let's describe what, what, we, what we have. So one is called Riley's Retreat and it's in Florida because you and I, we're not from Florida. Why Florida? Correct. So grew up in Los Angeles, um, moved to Florida in 2006 during the recession. Um, 
Forbes Riley at the time was on Home Shopping Network and it made sense to be here. We had two young kids. Um, so we got here, didn't know the area, started looking around, um, saw the prices were really good compared to California and everybody was fleeing real estate and the prices were dropping. And we have always lived a little below our means, not that we wanted anything. We just didn't spend lavishly. And so we were able to take cash that was available and start buying up real estate at what now is incredible bargain prices. I mean, we, we bought stuff now that you couldn't touch for almost five to 10 times that amount. And that was, you know, 2006. Well, I got to say that you got a little bit of a thick skin and you're a bit more of an investor and, you know, hindsight is certainly 2020 uh, because with the price then now it's like everything's doubled. But if we know we probably should have bought more, but you never know that, do you? Correct. You know, it's, it's, you always look back and gosh, I could have bought that for 200,000. Now it's a million dollars, but every investor has that story and you can't let yourself uh, or beat yourself up about it. There are going to be deals that you just miss and there's deals that you get. And, you know, we were fortunate that we got some good deals and we held on to them. And, you know, if you think about it, the only time you lose money in real estate is when you sell it. You know, if the market drops, it doesn't really matter if you hold on to it and you wait it out and you keep improving the property. Eventually, it's going to go up. Real estate always goes up. It may have some dips, but it always goes up. So, so Riley's um, so Retreat has a one bedroom, a two bedroom, and now a upstairs, downstairs unit. Yes. So we have five units. We have one, a penthouse unit on the beach, and we've got a fourplex on the bay side directly across from the beach. The idea was to get a property that was on the water, but if you're on the beach, it's a whole different financial picture and that's a different rental kind of uh, portfolio. So we are directly across the street from the beach and we have a penthouse on the beach. So we got a mix for both people that are interested and want to be on the beach or, or like the bay side where you can fish and boat right off our dock. And now, it's a mixture of one bedrooms and two bedrooms. Will you meet the guests when they come there? Will you have any interaction with them? Sometimes I'm around. I try to feel guests out based on their responses. Some people just like to be left alone, want a quiet place. Other people want to sit and chat around a, a fire pit and, you know, talk about anything. So I always keep uh, various mixes and alcohols on site. If people want to have some bourbon or something, I, I like to share with my guests. Um, just, it's a, it's a festive atmosphere. It's like a, like a mini club met. Well, that's some of the reviews that you get is that they really, that people love being around saying hi to you and that the property itself is clean and is well-maintained, centrally located. And so all those things are very, very important. But um, let's, let's go out a little. Is there anything else that you want to share about Airbnb for somebody who has some money or is interested? Number one, should they rent out their guest house? Do you think they should rent out a room in their home? Which, how far would you go Airbnb-wise? So you can go online now and find dozens of companies that will clean your units or manage your units just about anywhere in the country. So you can decide how hands-on you want to be. I do all my stuff in-house. I have housekeeping. Um, I have maintenance people because we have enough uh, properties to kind of carry that load. But if you're a single, you know, rental unit or maybe just two, um, you might look at contracting with a company to help you do that because it takes time. You know, if, if you don't have that, you're going to be cleaning units on weekends. Um, you, you can decide how aggressive you want to be. I don't like to run a motel, so I have a three-night minimum. Um, I leave a space after someone checks out that uh, 24 hours. It gives housekeeping time, so they're not flipping rooms the same day, which makes it kind of – they don't get as clean sometimes. So, so I, I could probably make more money if I squeezed it more, but I think the quality would suffer some 
based on how I'm doing it. And I, I like the fact that you have to be 30 years or old, older to rent a place at ours. We don't let kids under 12 for safety reasons because we have a seawall. Um, we don't have pets, no smoking, no parties. We keep a, a tight set of house rules to keep the place nice and guests seem to really enjoy that. Well, I'm going to say that that if you just listen to that, I want to reiterate what he just said in terms of creating your own. And I guess you're allowed to do that. I didn't realize that. But the age limit, the uh, amount of kids, uh, what you will and the space in between. I don't know that I would have ever thought about that. I think that's a great little hint about how to run a very successful Airbnb. Yes. Well, because you create the lifestyle you want to live. So if you want to be flipping and squeezing it, you can do that. You can turn them the same day, turn them and burn them. Uh, but if you want something a little more relaxed, you might do a five-night minimum. You might say it's a week minimum, so you don't have to deal with that. Um, you look around your market, Airbnb, has, and there's, there's, there's supporting companies that provide all the statistics about what the rates are in your area. Are you competitive? Where, um, where you should be in terms of pricing for this part of the week? And you can look at all that stuff. I look at it sometimes, but I tend to use kind of, again, my gut. This is what I like. And I, my pricing is not the cheapest. We're probably in the 70 percentile in the highest price area. Um, I think we get a clientele that appreciates that because we put quality products on our property. So, I love that. Uh, we have two minutes to our very first break. Um, are you looking at buying more Airbnbs? I'm always looking at real estate. Every day I wake up, I look at real estate because deals are always out there, even in a market now where things are very high really you got to be an idiot not to be able to make money in this market because you literally could buy something and put it on 30 days later and make 50 grand. But the problem is you're playing with a, a little gamble right now because at some point it's going to pop and you might get stuck with that property, but there's always deals to be had. You just got to keep looking and know, know your margins and, and know your financials. Have you ever flipped a product, a, a, a product, you see a house and go, I'm just going to rehab it and sell it. No, I've always been, buy and hold. I'm not opposed to it. It's just, I like to hold them. I like to rent them out. And, and I deal more in commercial real estate anyway. So, I, you know, but I always say, look, everything I own is for sale. So if someone offers me the right price, I'm gone. I'm, this is business. There's no emotional connection to it. Which has always been my issue. I get very emotionally attached to everything I own and I hold on to things way too long. All right, we've got one minute to our very first break. Uh, just a solid piece of advice. Somebody's listening to this for the first time going, you know, I never thought about those things. What would you advise them if they're a first time going, I wanna be in the Airbnb market? Again, I would have them really think, okay, are they ready to interact with strangers on their property? Are they the kind of person that can take constructive criticism when someone says, you know, I would have rather this, or I didn't like this, or, um, you have to really want to make people happy. And if you don't, then don't be in the business because that's what it really is. You, well, I think you said it. Laugh. You said something very interesting about hospitality. If you don't, because I've stayed in some that I would never go back to. The fact that yours are as highly rated. And guys, if you want to know more about Riley's Retreat, simply go to Riley's Retreat on Google and look up the amazing photos, the great reviews, and certainly go to Airbnb. I'm a huge fan of Florida. Never thought I would be, but you know, we used to come down here from New York all the time, and now I live where I used to vacation as a kid. Mm -hmm. All right, you guys, we're going off to our first break. Say thank you to our sponsors. You're watching Forbes Factor. We focus on health, wealth, and happiness, and today we're focusing on wealth and vacations. All right, don't go away. We'll be right back after this message. Be 
sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. If you hate going to the gym but want to shed that extra weight, finally get a flat stomach and tight toned arms, we have the most unique solution. And get this, it's fun and takes less than five minutes, two times a day. Developed by Fitness Hall of Fame inductee and TV health expert, Forbes Riley. The Spin Gym is the most compact, low-impact, resistance exercise ever developed. This simple handheld device provides the most unique fat-burning, metabolic-boosting workout suitable for all fitness levels. You've seen it on TV and in print with more than 2 million sold. What are you waiting for? Get your Forbes Riley Spin Gym at buyspingym.com. Order now and discover how easy and fun it can be to get in the very best shape of your life in just five minutes. Guaranteed. There's never been another product like the Forbes Riley Spin Gym. So try it risk-free for 30 days. Visit buyspingym.com today. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencer channel this is the voice america influencers channel be inspired you are listening to the forbes factor to call in with a question or comment please call 1-866-472-5795 that's 1-866-472-5795 or send an email to forbes at forbesriley.com now back to the show. Here's Forbes Riley. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Forbes Factor. We're here with my business partner of 30 years. Has it been 30 years? 32? Almost 30. Something Almost. like, well, yeah. Actually, hmm. Um, <laughs> well, no, and it's, it's great because not only have you ventured us into the Airbnb space, which is really important. I don't think – now, we started that, though, way back in California. Correct. So, but it was much more long-term back then. What, was, what shifted? Well, in California, number one, Los Angeles didn't really have a policy uh, on Airbnb. So, you know, in Florida here in Treasure Island, we're in a hotel zone. So we can rent single night. We we are running legitimate Airbnb. The taxes are taken out. Um, Los Angeles didn't have that. People were doing it under the table. Um, I believe they're still cracking down out there. We've been out of it for since 2018 out there. Um, but that's one of the the conundrums of this whole thing is that cities that recognize the vacation rentals and make it part of their city get the tax money that's created. The, here in, in Treasure Island, it's 13%, 13.5% oh, wow. of you know, every Miami, rental. Miami goes, crushed down there. They're not having any Airbnbs in the heart of Miami. They won't allow it. So 
that's where, and so by doing that, they're also looking at, okay, they've lost that revenue, but they're trying to make apartments and things affordable for people to, to live and work. Cause you also have to have people to be able to afford to live and work in your community. So I'm in a vacation zone. We are, we are designed for vacationers. That's what we do. It's a different animal in St. Petersburg where you live, where the city says they're not legal. You can do one month or longer, but you can't do less than that. Yet, if you go on Airbnb, you'll see all over the place, places for rent in St. Pete. So if you're thinking about doing, you should be really clear on what your local ordinances are and don't get too extended because they could crack down and, and you're out of business. Plus you're penalized and fined and all that stuff. Now there's another thing that you haven't really exercised or I don't think I have. What is the sharing of homes? How does that work? Well, when you look for a space to vacation rental, you can say the entire place or you can say, uh, you know, a room to share. So that maybe it's, uh, you have a bedroom that has a bathroom that's office certain section. You can rent that out also. So in the filter, when you're looking to do a rental as a, as a customer, you can decide, okay, that's a, it's less money. It might be, you know, $50 a night, $100 versus, you know, $300 for the entire place. Well, we're always about innovation on this show, but there's something else in terms of sharing. You can share homes like somewhere else in the world. What is that, that you like, you know, not just rent it out, but say, hey, you guys. Oh, you're talking about home exchange. Home exchange. That's what so, I'm talking about. Yes. One of the one of the other kind of side perks of this business has been home exchange, which is there's a various companies. One we use one called Home Exchange, um, but you can list your rentals on that also and do exchanges with people all over the world with points um, or reciprocal, where they come and stay at your place and you go stay at theirs. So they have different ways to do it, but it's really great because there are times when we have slow periods that I can block off a rental and maybe you want to get a chateau in France or somewhere down in you know Italy, um, it doesn't cost us anything. We already have the property. We can let someone come stay here and we get points for that. And we can use those points anywhere in the world. So it's a great way to swap out homes. Um, and I've done that twice so far. You have? I've not done that once. I think I need to get into that arena. Well, we have a lot of points right now. We've got like 4,000 points you could use anywhere in the world, which can get you literally castles in Germany for you know 350 points a night. So you can do 10 nights there. All right, so you guys, if you're listening to this, and I just realized this because I've never done it, okay? I now have points, but even in your home, if you want to leave somewhere, you can have somebody do this with your entire house, couldn't you, wherever you are? Absolutely. Yeah, it doesn't have to be vacation rental. The difference, though, is also when you're describing the property on a home exchange, um, it'll say, is it a primary home or secondary? If it's a primary home, it has all your personal effects and all that stuff, and some people are fine. They just leave it, throw you the keys. Um, my vacation rentals don't have personal effects, so it doesn't matter to me, right? It's, there's no owner's personal stuff in it. So sometimes you get a place that's kind of cluttered. You should really look at the pictures and make sure you're not showing up in somebody's kind of hoarding house full of stuff. <laughs> so well, read the reviews too. Reviews are helpful. So this is interesting too to share things that most people don't know. One of the things is our son is now discovering points. Like he's like, go oh, to Wawa's and I get free drinks all the time because I spend my points. So and you get talk- 15 cents less on a gallon of gas if you use if you buy it through the app, you save 15 cents a gallon on what Wawa. App? Wait, wait, wait. Oh, really? <clears throat> the Wawa app. Yeah, it's it's really amazing how they're pushing it. Racetrack does the same thing, um, and they give away tons of free little snacks and things. They don't want you to go inside anyone. They want you to use the app. Well, this is interesting because I don't think a lot of my listeners right now realize this world of of points, of things that are available. 
So one for me, I'll give out. And if you have one, feel free to fork it over. But I've held a Southwest credit card for years now. And if you spend X amount on Southwest, you get a free companion. Well, I don't know if anybody really drills this down or teaches this, but Southwest happens to be an airline. I make no money. They're not endorsing me, although they should. But every time you go to change your airline ticket on every other airline, it's $200 every time you change. And if two of you are traveling, that gets really expensive. Southwest has no change fee. So I added up one year. If I had changed my ticket as many times as I did, I would have lost over $10,000. I don't think that people realize that you can not only change it, two bags free, and take a companion. What's one of yours that you have discovered over the years? Well, let me make a comment about Southwest because I also was a big fan and am a big fan, but lately something's changed. And what I noticed during COVID the past two years, Southwest was very aggressive about giving companion passes if you got the Southwest credit card for a year. So they, they gave away these companion passes, which means you could buy one ticket and two people could fly. And they gave tons of points away. Well, if you go to book a Southwest ticket now, they're literally double and almost triple the price they were two years ago. And I know that what they did is they overextended and they're trying to call out some of the use of that. So now a ticket that used to cost me $300 for two of us to fly because I got my companion to go with me now is $700. So were we better off? No, I think Southwest has got to get rid of some of these uh, companions and points before the prices are going to come down because it's, I noticed that too, that exponentially their prices went through the roof. I also, I'm not an airline scheduler, but I'm not quite sure why every airline needs to have three and four stops between, I don't know what's, why we can't fly direct across this country on most of my airlines. It's above my pay grade. Well, so, but you have always had credit cards that have given you points. So, um, look, I mean, Costco has one that gives you back almost 4%. You know, if you do an executive membership, it's worth doing right. those, huh? Yeah, it's it's really a good return. But all of these, all of these fast food places, uh, if you get the McDonald's app, and I'm not a big McDonald's, you know, I'm big enough to eat McDonald's. But um, if you open that app every day, it's a buy one get one free of just about every sandwich. There's all these points. Um, Taco Bell has them. Burger King has them. These these corporate apps are the way to go. Um, when you go in a store, even if you go, let's say you go to Home Goods or something, and you use or Bed Bath and Beyond and use the app. They give you extra discounts if you do it through the app first and then show up to the store to pick it up. So I always recommend check out the apps whenever possible. You'd be amazed at the, the giveaways. That's fascinating. I hadn't really noticed that, but it makes a whole lot of sense. I often preach that that's why Macy's and Sears went out of business because and if you're a small business owner, just think about this for a second. But if you got a customer who hands you cash, you don't really have a customer. You just made a sale. But if you're logging into an app, giving your email, interacting, people can be tracking your, your whereabouts yeah. and those things. That's very valuable to a company. Oh, and they are tracking. I mean, anybody that's gone online and looked up uh, a side table, right, for your bedroom, and all of a sudden you start seeing all these ads on Facebook pop up for side tables. I mean, everywhere we go, we're being tracked. So, Well, I think the creepy the thing is if you talk about a side table over breakfast with somebody in your and then, then it shows up, that's the one that bothers me. Yeah. Is yeah. it, are they listening to us? All right, who you are also, they? <laughs> you don't, I don't know who they are. You also, let's just continue to talk real estate because that's one of your fortes. I'm still just kind of a baby in that world. You bought a building and turned it into a television studio. Was that it? So, Tell me about that. So that was, again, kind of 
towards the end of the recession still in it though. Um, it was a printing company. It was, uh, I think we paid like $245,000 for it at the time. Put a couple hundred thousand into it to make it a really beautiful studio. Got a, Got an architect designer who I couldn't afford to even take to lunch today. He's so expensive. I mean, right? he does multi-million dollar estates. Um, but he didn't have much work and he was new and it was called Mesh and Joe Millick, who's an incredible design and architect. Uh, but he did the inside. So it has concave curved walls and spectacular. Um, but that building now easily given this market, we could get a million and a half, two million for it. And so uh, if you guys are in St. Pete, it's called Forbes Riley studios. Uh, hopefully it, and I'll tell you what, we do photography, we do videography, we do classes, and that's yeah. also up. Now, there's another space. I'm going we, to just, we just had 40 midwives from Wisconsin come down for a conference and hold their seminars in the studio um, doing um, home birth testing for these new midwives, Amish ladies and Southern women that are uh, starting to be midwives. So we have all kinds of interesting people. Which is funny. On one side, we do that. On the other side, you actually film movies and television and commercials there. Yeah. It's a very cool space. Yeah. But I want to share another resource that you all may not know about because there's an Airbnb for commercial spaces called Peer Space. Yeah. And have you ever booked anything else, like anybody else's Peer Space? I have not used it. I've looked at things in Las Vegas when we were doing some work out there and it just, for whatever reason, didn't happen, but there's great spaces on there. Um, there's Airbnbs for pools. Swimley, Swimley right. Swimley. I just you found out rent, about this. You want to rent your pool out for two hours to, and you can limit it to five people or whatever. You post it on there and you're renting your pool out. So it's RVs. You can do it with RVs. Um, well, and you've seen, uh, Turbo, not Turbo. Oh, Turo. Turo. I'm still not. Okay, the jury is out on this one. I did rent a peer space. I rented one in Seattle. It's a great business. Turo, I have a question for you. Would you buy a new car and put it up on Turo? Do you think that would be a good idea? I've got a friend uh, here who has vacation rentals next to mine here in Treasure Island, and he bought a convertible Mustang that he kind of cross markets with his vacation rentals. If you rent, you get 10% off. And he's done very well. He's buying another car. So... Apparently, it's working well. And he's funny. He's an older guy. He's a retired guy from Ford, an old Ford uh, uh, auto line worker. He took his pension, came down here, and he's uh, now he's got these Turo cars, and he's got his um, condo across the street on the beach that he rents out, and it's doing very well. Fascinating to me. Again, the, the, the car thing is so, I don't know. People ding it. They don't take good care of it. I'm not sure about renting a new car, but I guess it works. Also, there's dog walkers. I guess that's the other thing. You have somebody walk your dog. I don't have a dog anymore, so I don't know about that company. I think it's called not called Woof, but it, that's a good idea. Well, there's definitely people who come pick up the dog droppings. So that's really. Cool. Oh yeah. Wow. I guess you can rent out <laughs> anything nowadays. All right. So now that we have you, I've got a couple of people here asked some questions. On your bio, it talks about Notre Dame. Tell us about that's you know one of the greatest colleges of all time. Somebody asked a question about you personally. Is there less is anything else we want to talk about business wise? I'm uh, whatever you want to ask me. I mean. Yeah. But Somebody said, what was it like graduating, going to Notre Dame? So Notre Dame was amazing. I, we didn't win as much as I'd like to back then, but two years after I left, they won a national champion. So that really rubbed it in that half the players on that team were, were guys that I played with. Uh, it's fun to get together with them again. I just had a reunion with about 15 of them here at the vacation rentals. They all came and stayed and we spent a weekend and had a wonderful time. But to see their Super Bowl or not Super Bowl, their national championship rings, it's kind of tough because I missed it by, you know, that much. Um, Wait, now, but, you were a full scholarship, though, 
you know, I, I, I hang out with a lot of very amazing athletes and people have pushed the envelope. And there was a lot of people who wanted to and wish they could have. You had a decision. You were growing up in Pasadena. Did you always want to play football? I did want to play football. I wanted to get a scholarship because I didn't want my parents to have to pay. There were six kids in the family and um, they didn't make a lot of money. They, you know, we had food on the table, but we weren't rich by any means. So I said, I want to do this by myself. So I decided I wanted to get a scholarship to Notre Dame. And I couldn't even run half a lap or do a push-up my freshman year in high school. So they all laughed at me and said, you know, you stink, Riley. You're never going to make it. And then sophomore year, I got a little better. And I kept training. And I would train on my own. And I would work out in the morning before school and after school. And by senior year, I was one of the most recruited linemen in the country. And I had offers to go to USC, Notre Dame, Stanford, Washington, UCLA. Wait, 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 wait. wait. I'm missing something here. You're telling freshman year you're not doing a push-up. And couldn't so do a push-up, and I couldn't run half a lap. <laughs> so what What happened? What changed? What did you do? I focused. It's all just like business, just like pretty much anything in your life. When you focus, that's when you make the real changes. And I focused only on school and football. That's all I wanted to do. I didn't date till I was a senior. I went to an all-guys school, so dating was a little slim pickets anyways. But um, I maniacally focused on training and getting good grades and wanted to go. And I said, I wanted to get a scholarship to Notre Dame. And I got a scholarship to Notre Dame. When I got there, I was like, well, now what do I do? <laughs> I hadn't really thought past that, but I got there. But did, now, did you manifest? Did you really, I mean, were there posters on your walls? Did you, what did you do specifically? Because I got a lot of people here who are like, who say they want, I want to be a millionaire. I want to do that. And nothing ever changes. I got, so what I did is I got all the bodybuilding magazines that had the protein powders, and I would read about the different exercises to do because it was still kind of new. There was no internet. There was nowhere to look, right? And then uh, I joined a gym that was like just like a rough and tough gym. And I'd ride my bike there at 4.30 in the morning. Keep in mind, I'm a 15-year-old kid. 4.30 in the morning, I'd work out. I'd ride home. I'd go to school, do it after school. I did that for three years. And it paid off. I mean, just, uh, I mean, I don't know. I just, it was really just focus. And like anything in real estate, the reason I was able to get the real estate that we have here in Tampa Bay was focusing every morning. I get up, I look at Zillow, I look at Redfin, I look at um, uh, LoopNet, I look at all different sources, look on Craigslist, look at people, and you just look. You don't, you don't spend a lot of time, maybe it's 15 minutes, 20 minutes, but you get a feel for the market and you say, oh, that's new, that popped up, or this one, the price dropped. And you, then you get a real good feel. And then you know when a deal comes, because you've been watching it every day, you know what the prices are. And then something pops up that's like 40% less, you go, I'm going to go see that. And then you'd be ready to move. So it's just focus. Fascinating. Focus is part of it, though. Do you have a good vision? And we've got one minute before my next break. Do you have, do you, I talk about begin with the end in mind. Is that something that you do actively, do you think? Probably not as much as I should. I mean, I focused on the commercial side, which was, because I didn't want to deal with residential tenants. Right. Um, but probably would have done better had I even come up with a bigger plan. It's kind of been, you know, mm. pick up a piece here, pick up a piece there. Um, and it just worked out to create the lifestyle that I wanted to have. That's another important thing to consider, too. All right, you guys, we're getting ready to take off our second break. We come back and, uh, you know, stay tuned because Tom Ryan is a pretty fascinating guy. Uh, full ride scholarship from Notre Dame. That Not everybody gets to do that. Real estate mogul, living the life, having a great time. We come back and find out some of the other secrets to his success. Don't go away. You're watching The Forbes Factor. We focus on health, wealth, and happiness. And today we're doing all three. Be back in a minute. 
follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. If you hate going to the gym, but want to shed that extra weight, finally get a flat stomach and tight toned arms, we have the most unique solution. And get this, it's fun and takes less than five minutes, two times a day. Developed by Fitness Hall of Fame inductee and TV health expert, Forbes Riley. The Spin Gym is the most compact, low-impact, resistance exercise ever developed. This simple handheld device provides the most unique fat-burning, metabolic-boosting workout suitable for all fitness levels. You've seen it on TV and in print with more than 2 million sold. What are you waiting for? Get your Forbes Riley Spin Gym at buyspingym.com. Order now and discover how easy and fun it can be to get in the very best shape of your life in just five minutes. Guaranteed. There's never been another product like the Forbes Riley Spin Gym. So try it risk-free for 30 days. Visit buyspingym.com today. Do you feel you have a bigger life's purpose than you're currently living? Of course you do. Activate your passion as you tune in to Sovereign Self with host Sophia Renea Morales. Become the conscious creator of your own life. Connect with your most powerful and purposeful self in order to make big things happen for you now. Sophia and her guests are doing this every day and are sharing how you can step into this power too. Listen to Sovereign Self every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to The Forbes Factor. To call in with a question or comment, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to Forbes at ForbesRiley.com. Now back to the show. Here's Forbes Riley. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the last part of Forbes Factor here on a very special Wednesday. We're here with Tom Riley, and we're talking about business, real estate, Notre Dame. And now something that's interesting, one of my favorite parts of your story, Tom, is your family, the adopted part of your family and how your parents put together this Brady Bunch. Yeah, well, back in the 60s, uh, it was still kind of uh, – uh, it was not politically correct to be unmarried and pregnant. So I was born at, at the time, it was called St. Anne's Home for Unwed Mothers. It's been there for 125 years. Now it's just called St. Anne's. But it was when they would send young women away to, uh, you know, school for, for nine months or a year and they'd come back. And uh, But that's where I was born. I was adopted through a Catholic adoption agency. And uh, and I come, there's six kids in the family. Four oldest of us were adopted. Older brother and sister are twins. They were adopted first. And then I came two years after them, and then a year after me was my sister Kelly, and then the two youngest were homemade. So, so I talked home. about this today, just today, because I have one of my clients. She's older. She's never been a mom. She's in her seventies, and her daughter-in-law. They're bringing. They've got a couple of little kids running around, and it just makes her crazy. She's like, "Oh, they're crying." And they're just, "I've never been a mom." And I said to her a quote that I know from your dad. I said, "Do you have a dog?" She said, "Well, I did." I said, "How much do you love your dog?" Tell me about that story and your dad. Well, my dad, a lot of people like I could never adopt, you know, I want to, I want a pride of ownership. I want to make, you know, it's got to be my genes. Right. And, uh, and, but you see dog owners who love their dogs or animals or cats. They're, they're part of the family. They refer to them as their babies. They walk them in strollers. 
And so my dad had a close friend who was kind of a mentor to him who said, hey, you just adopted a dog, didn't you? He said, oh, yeah, I, I love that dog. My dog is it's my life. He said, and so he said to him, so you can love a dog, but you don't think you could love a baby? And like a light went off. He went, oh. And so your dad, a fascinating guy, was vice president of the Teamsters. For those people who don't know, what is a Teamster? So the Teamsters Union is a conglomerate of truckers, miscellaneous workers, uh, there's police, there's fire, there's airline workers. It's kind of a mix of everything. And at one time, they were the largest union in the United States. Now, uh, public unions, public employee unions tend to be the most. But as a as a industrial union, it still is one of the biggest in the country or close to the biggest. And, and um, he started out as a truck driver after coming back from Korea. His uncle was a Teamster union official and said, you know, you need a job so you can drive a truck. So he drove a truck from San Francisco and Los Angeles. And then he said, how would you like to be a business agent. Well, I don't know what that is. And they offered him like $25 a month car allowance. And it's like his car wasn't even worth 25 bucks. So he was thrilled for that and uh, took the job and spent 45 years. He worked his way up from a truck driver to become international vice president, head of the Western United States, head of uh, Joint Council 42 in Southern California and, and a local, ran the largest local in the United States at one point. What's one of the lessons that you learned from a man like that? Uh, don't quit. He would come home battered and bruised from elections where, you know, they always have to run for office and, uh, or there'd be strikes or there'd be negotiations that would go on for, you know, four days straight. Um, and he just, uh, they get emotional kind of talking about it, but he didn't quit and he'll be 90 years old this year. Oh my God. That is spectacular. And he Nine raised, years old. He always says if he knew he was going to live this long, he would have taken better care of himself. But <laughs> he's still, still chugging away. Six kids. How many grandkids? Gosh, uh, 18 grandkids, four great-grandkids. I mean, it's just it's been an amazing story. You know, my mom passed away a couple of years ago from pancreatic cancer. She was in her early 80s. So now you also have, you also have a bit of a fascinating story. You met your birth parents. Oh, I did meet my birth parents. They, they, back in, back in the eighties, probably early eighties, late seventies, you could go to the department of motor vehicles and look up Forbes Riley. Where does Forbes Riley live? And they would give you a card and says, Oh, here's her address. Here's her age. Here's everything about her. And they would give it to you. So when I turned 16, um, well, let me backtrack a second. The Los Angeles times did a, article on adoptions. And on the front page was a picture of adoption court with all these families. And my family was right in the middle with me being held, looking right at the camera, bright blonde hair. And it said the Riley family adopting their fourth child, Kelly. And it said our names. It said Thomas, blah, 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 you know. So my birth mother saw that article and said, I know that's my son. And she kept it. And when I turned 16, or what would have been my birthday at 16, she went down to the Department of Water Vehicles and pulled Thomas Riley from Pasadena. And sure enough, it pulled up my, my birth date, which matched everything, and she was able to figure out that was me. Well, that law changed a few years later when Rebecca Schaefer, the actress, opened her front door and a guy shot her in the chest and killed her because he had pulled her name from the Department of Motor Vehicles. You could just go find out where Rebecca Schaefer lived. So after that happened, they changed the law. Now our, our records are sealed like they should be. You shouldn't be able to just get everybody's info. 
but that's how they found my birth mother found me. Then she was in contact with my birth father. They didn't stay together. They reached out to me when I was in my early twenties. I wasn't interested. I was like, I got a great home. I got a family. I hadn't really thought about being adopted. I kind of forgot about it. So I sat on it for a year or two, <clears throat> responded that I was fine. Thanks for reaching out. And then eventually I decided, you know, what the heck, I'll meet him. And so we met and it was great. It wasn't like the movies where you're crying, like, oh, I found myself. I had a wonderful family. So I've become friends with my birth father and my, I've got a brother who was a, actually became a dot-com millionaire. He did really well for himself. He's, he just turned 40 years old. That's kind of fun. Um, and it's been a, a nice relationship, but a friend relationship. My family is my family. So know, any, like, let's just give us some insight. Maybe a child, a kid is adopted. Any thoughts on reaching out or why you just, I don't know, just, I'm not adopted. I don't know, but I know your sisters and brothers are. Well, First of all, we always knew we were adopted because my parents would say, well, my dad would threaten to give me back. So that's <laughs> um, he would, they would say, look, you were, we chose you, you know, you were adopted. It was a special gift, you know? So it wasn't like you found out when you're 20 years old that you're adopted and now you feel like your life's a lie. That was never the case. Um, one of my siblings wanted to find her birth parents. So she went down that road. Uh, the other three of us didn't really care. Um, but it fell into my lap. So, and uh, I think it's just a personal decision for some people. It's important. Some people do these open adoptions now where, you know, right away. Uh, in my case, it was, if, if I was interested in finding my birth parents, I would send a letter to the adoption agency and then they'd wait for a letter from the birth parents. And if that happened, then they'd make the connection. That was the old way they did it. Now so I think family, it's all well, family has always been really, really important to you. In your early 20s, you decided to do something. We've not talked about it on the radio. Uh, big Brothers, Big Brothers. What is that? What is it and how did it impact your life? Well, I got involved in mentoring programs in, at Notre Dame with some kids in South Bend. And then my dad was involved in Los Angeles on the board of directors of Big Brothers of Greater Los Angeles. So I'd seen that through the years and his work with that, and how he supported that organization. And I said, you know, I want to do that when I graduate. So I came back to Los Angeles and I, I signed up and it's not a, it's not an easy process, meaning you go through a, a personality test and interviews because you're with a, you know, a young boy. They want to make sure they're going to weed out as best they can any people that might be bad people. Um, so I went through that and fortunately passed with flying colors and uh, I was matched up with a kid. They gave me some choices and the biggest group of kids that were unmatched for years were young African-American boys, South Los Angeles. And there's one kid in particular, you're going to make me cry if I start talking about it. Um, who was really a tough kid, behavior issues. Um, he was, I don't know, was he six years old, seven years old? Um, but I'm like, I'll take that kid because he was kind of a big kid too. And I'm already a big guy. So I'm like, well, I can handle that. And so I would uh, go down and see him in South Los Angeles. And the first couple months were rough. I'd drive down and pick him up. And he thought a big brother, especially a big white brother, was someone who was just going to buy him things. So We'd go and he'd like, you know, will you buy me this, buy me this? And I'm like, no, I'm not buying you. And then he'd throw a tantrum. So I'd turn around and drive him home. Sometimes within a half hour of picking him up, I'd turn around and I would drop him back to the house. And his mom would, she would uh, smile and she understood. And uh, that went on for probably three, four months until he finally got it, that a big brother was not about buying stuff. And then we became best little buddies. And he was a, a groomsman in my wedding. And, uh, when he got older, he helped me a little bit when I was in the bingo world. He helped me do a couple installations in Wyoming and stuff. And then one day he was walking 
home from getting his hair cut in South Los Angeles, and they shot him dead during an initiation, a gang initiation. Some kids rolled up behind him and killed him, just a random, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. So that was a tough one. But uh, mentoring programs are outstanding, and I would encourage anybody, you know, male or female, to do it. It's, it's a great, you get as much as you give, easily. Some people don't consider doing that. Um, how can we encourage more people? I think if you don't get out of your little zone, I mean, I think having Dexter in your life was not what you'd planned, huh? but probably taught you a lot. What are some of the things that you got by being a big brother? Well, first of all, everybody has something to offer. It doesn't matter whether you're, um, you know, you dig ditches for a living or you're a, a MIT chemist. Okay. There's something you can share with a, a child, um, just hanging out with them, helping them with homework, just being there. Um, you know, with Dexter, it was being exposed to a kid who grew up in South Los Angeles where many of his friends were killed. So he would call me and say, you know, another friend got killed and he'd be crying on the phone. I'm like, you know, that was not my upbringing. I didn't have friends getting shot, but that was his, his upbringing. So I learned a lot about um, the people in South Los Angeles, went to some amazing family barbecues and get togethers. And one thing you learn is it doesn't matter rich or poor, where you are in this country, there are really great people. And, you know, if you try to cast everyone in the same light, you miss out on so much. So amazing people in South Los Angeles. Um, the population's changed a lot since it used to be primarily African-American. Now it's uh, a lot of Hispanic. Um, but again, amazing people living their lives, fighting a battle every day, you know, pay their rent and put food on the table and, you know, so get your chance to see part of that world too. For a while you were in politics. What do politics mean for you? Well, I always thought it was public service. I wanted to be in public service. Politics is, is I guess the art of trying to stay in public service. Um, I ran for Los Angeles uh, city council when I was 27. Um, there were nine of us. I came in third. I just missed the runoff and, uh, and that was an interesting experience. And then 10 years later, yeah, about 10 years later, I ran for the Los Angeles Board of Education. And again, just barely missed it. So I figured out I was 0-2. It might be time to take a break. So that was my last, my last uh, foray into politics. If you could wave a magical political wand so that we all figured out something in this country, what, what one or two things that the public could hear you say that you might do? If I could wave a wand, I would, I would create a program that takes kids in high school in the summertime and puts them on buses and takes them across the country to all the little towns and remote areas and inner cities, places they've never been, so they can see America and know that America is not what is in their small town of how they think things should be. Like, you grow up in Wyoming and you're hunting and you're fishing and everything. And then you got someone in Manhattan who's saying, you know, this is the way America should be because we're getting gunned down and this and that. This is a big country and people are great all over this country, but we don't get to see it. Most people, most people live within 20 miles of where they grew up. That's like the statistics. Think about that. The vast majority of Americans live within 20 miles of where they grew up. So if you never leave an area, you start to think that, you know, how we do things in Tampa Bay should be how we do it everywhere in the country. And it's, it's not the way it is. So getting people, you know, Israel figured out with their um, 
what do they call it? Their legacy when they bring um, Jewish people back for a two weeks. Young birthright. people. Birthright. 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 You can come see Israel for two weeks. They cover it. And you get and the people. Wow. Okay. For them, it's great marketing because you get, you know, Jewish people in America that have never been there. We have a minute and a half left. We have two small children, not so small. They're 19 years old. What's your hope for your children? Um, my hope for my children is that they are open-minded, that they don't become ideologues, that their way is the only way, that they don't let hate and fear direct their judgment, that they do it out of love and compassion when, when they make decisions. So that would be it. We're down. I know I'm getting a little emotional about that one too. Wow. Um, wow. Uh, just last thoughts. Well, I'm first time I've ever been on your show. Congratulations for all you've been doing. You know, you. we've had a we, two great kids we created. I'm thankful that we can still interact, even though, you know, we're not together anymore. We still conduct business and, you know, for other couples that have struggled out there, you know, you don't have to be adversaries. You can figure out how to make your life work and, you know, think about the good things and focus on kids and, you know, even make money together. As well, I, think as, that, I think you know? we are trailblazing something that I don't think most people have ever thought to do. That if you've had a partner at some point, you're allowed to go live your own life, but still build together or trust or I love your story. I'm grateful that you came on the show today. We got 30 seconds left to go. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Riley, I want to thank you very much to you thank and you your family. family, sending lots of love. And guys, I hope you learned some stuff. I got great comments and I look forward to seeing you guys again next week right here on the Forbes Factor. Bye, everybody. Thank you for making the Forbes Factor an important part of your week. Be sure to join Forbes Riley again next Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. We'll see you again soon.